This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. I'm here with Amy. Hi, Amy. Hi, Annie. Nice to meet you. Thank you for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. It's awesome. So why don't you kind of take us back to the beginning in your journey with alcohol, like back to kind of your first drink or when you were a kid? Oh, you know, there wasn't a lot of alcohol in my household growing up. Um, I come from a small town, conservative family. Of course, there would be events and it would be there, but it really was not part of my upbringing. Uh, there, there wasn't a feeling about it one way or the other. It's just there were, you know, our focus was on other things. It just wasn't around really until... Uh, and a high school, a lot of my friends uh, enjoyed drinking, um, but I always seemed on the outskirts of those groups. I really didn't start drinking until college. And I, um, at that time, I thought it was just something college students did and figured once I graduated, I would move on and it wouldn't really be part of my life. And in large part, that was true for many years. That was true. Um, I did have one really fun year in college. <laughs> Then I graduated and I went to law school and, uh, you know, moved on with my life. It really did not uh, come become prevalent in my life until I became a parent and um, I was a parent, uh, became a parent to a special needs son, uh, pretty involved. And then less than two years later, he had a little brother who also had needs. So really wasn't until my parenting experience that it became common in my household. Okay, interesting. So you had you had some fun in college, but yeah. it wasn't. It was really kind of a take it or leave it sort of sort of situation. I thought, you know, I I, I need to get on with my life. That's something that kids do, use and abuse, uh, and so I'm just going to move on with my life. I remember going um, reconnecting with childhood friends who were also some of my college friends uh, for a high school reunion, and one of them said to me, "You don't you don't drink." how do you not drink? And I just said, well, it's really not part of our lives. And, and she went on. Well, when you go to somebody's house for dinner, you bring a bottle of wine, right? I mean, how, how do you avoid that? And I said, well, at this point, I don't go anywhere for dinner. I'm a special needs mom. So my life was, was entirely different. I, it, I found it notable that that was curious to a lot of, right. of people that I'd known earlier in my life, but really, no, it just was not part of my life until I became a parent. And so can you talk to me a little bit about, you know, your emotions? I mean, I'm, I'm a mother of three, none of them are special needs, but I remember kind of the process when you're pregnant of going through the diagnostics and whatnot and, and waiting for the results and, and that emotion and, and what, what that was like for you. A diagnostics of my children? Yeah, when you were, yeah. did you know they were special needs before they were born? No. Okay, so you no. didn't have that kind of... No, there was no preparation. There was no nothing. You go into the hospital, you're naive, you're a little bit scared, you have an idea of what you think that life is going to be, and in the blink of an eye, it changes. Um, and that isn't always the case. It was the case with my older son, not my younger. Well, yes, my younger son too. Okay. Um, yeah, it, that emotion is always just beneath the surface. And so... A slight tangent uh, is that I, I know that there is the argument of 
look, you don't want to, you don't want to take a drink. You know that it's not going to change anything. Uh, drinking is not going to, to suddenly take away the diagnoses. And my response was always, but that's the point. That's the whole reason why we drink is because it's not going away. It's a marathon. It's lifelong. I know it's not going to go away, but at least for the next 20, 30 minutes or however long, can I not think about it? Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, those, those emotions never go. They're always there. And it's, it's the harsh reality of what this life is. Could I preface this by saying I'm a proud mother and I am a proud special needs mother. I love my children, just like you love your children. And so when we have these conversations, we'll have some, some honest words, uh, but it really does not take that love away. Yeah, I course. feel that honest words uh, help us all. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it certainly doesn't negate any love that I have for my children, but it, it, it is a tough life. It is tough. Um, my first son, I could tell from his first cry, I knew when I'd had him, I could tell by that cry, that cry was not quote unquote normal. Um, but I was hormonal. Um, I, was, I had just given birth. Um, I was younger. Um, I wasn't a young, young mother, but maybe mentally I was um, because I just thought life played out in a certain way that was very similar to the way that I grew up. And I just thought, I'd be a soccer mom, my kids would be in school, they grew up, they go to college, that's what life was going to be. And we had that first cry and there was this fleeting thought of, that's not right. And I pushed it to the back of my mind. I remember cementing a smile on my face. I remember telling myself, go put on makeup. People are going to come to the, to the hospital room, you need to be prepared, go put on makeup. Like, like the makeup was going to change something. But in my mind, I needed to soldier on. Yeah. And so that's what I did. I pushed it to the back of my mind. Doctors visited. They weren't quite sure. He looked a little different. Um, I had tested for Down syndrome when I was pregnant. Um, but he had a look about him and his eyes and his forehead that made them think. Mm. Um, but really, there was no determination. I think the doctors did a wait and see. Um, but I was so young and naive, I didn't know that that's what was going on. I really had no clarity. I just knew I was thrown into a life of crisis. Uh, this child couldn't digest anything. He couldn't sleep. Um, he had sensory processing issues that I didn't even know existed at the time. So you swaddle a newborn, but if you do that to my older son, my older, it, it felt like his skin was on fire. Uh, he couldn't handle touch for me. And of course, the more he cried, the more I hugged him close. And um, the more I rocked him to try to soothe him, not realizing that made him sick to his stomach. Uh, so, you know, I did everything wrong while trying to do everything right. Mm. And within months, I was just fried, exhausted at the end of my rope. I just did not know what else to do. And the doctors would say, give it time keep a log. <laughs> so I'd keep a log of what food. And, you know, he never slept ever, 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 maybe cat napped 15 minutes and then would be up for hours and then 15 minutes. And, you know, so I knew there were issues. He did not get diagnosed until his younger brother was two weeks old. Uh, so I became, uh -huh. during this chaos, I became pregnant again. 
and I had a second child who was born with a paralyzed arm. So it wasn't really developmentally. There was a physical disability with him. And I saw it when he came out. I saw it and I thought, well, it's a physical disability. It's finite. I can deal with the physical disability. Plenty of people live with just one arm. We can do this. And uh, to me, developmental delays were more elusive and in my mind, scary. Uh, when, incidentally, when my younger son was born, the doctor took him and put him on my chest. I didn't have, I didn't get that with my older son. He went to the ICU. So that was my first experience. And my younger son just immediately locked eyes with me. And it shook me. And it was the first that I realized I'd never locked eyes with his older brother, mm. ever. I, I didn't, I, I, I actually felt very naked and vulnerable. And I looked away first. Here, here my younger son wasn't even five minutes old. And uh, he'd already looked into my soul. <laughs> and uh -huh. so I realized that there was, there was another issue. So two weeks later, we, we found out some of it. You know, he's an involved fella. Both of my sons in common, they have autism. Uh, with other medical and developmental diagnoses, um, you know, scattered in there. Uh, but I thought, okay, with my younger son, I thought, well, we're just going to have a, a paralyzed arm and the older son will be a little more involved. Um, but as, as my sons grew, then um, we realized with my younger son that, uh, you know, he had some developmental challenges also. So there we are. Um, what was it like? I remember my parents, you know, I don't live near my family. I remember my parents calling me and saying, how are you? And I said, well, I think I'm depressed. I went, I'm, I believe I'm functional, but I think I'm depressed. Uh, but, you know, everyone's looking at you. Uh, no, nobody I knew had special needs children at that time. And everyone's, they just see that this child, these kids are crying and there's all sorts of chaos and things aren't right. They're not passing, there we go, they're not passing developmental milestones, they're not this, that, or the other, and they look at the mom. And well, I, all I know is I was up 24-7, I was working around the clock, I was pouring my soul into these children. And, um, you know, I just didn't, I, I was doing my best. Um, uh, so, you know, I, it wasn't until I, you know, I came in contact with more um, parents of special needs mm -hmm. uh, that, that alcohol came back into the picture in my life. Yeah, which, which absolutely makes sense. I mean, first of all, I think that there's some, like just not knowing you aside from the last 10 minutes or whatever, mm -hmm. but I think that there's some really cool themes of just survivorhood in your story. Like even the yes. going to put on makeup or like, mm -hmm. okay, we can deal with this. And, you mm -hmm. know, when, when people are depressed, they say, get dressed, put on makeup, go outside, like oh, do these things, you know, mm -hmm. take these steps of like self-ownership, like control what you can control. And that's really cool. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, I also wanted to just say that, yeah, your logic about drinking, cause it doesn't go away drinking. Cause it seems like forever just makes so much sense to me, mm -hmm. you know? That's so that argument just never worked with me. And I, I, I would even read it on the Facebook page. People would comment and say, look, it's not going to change anything. Well, that's, that's why we do it. It's not, nothing's going to change it. This is what it is. And so that mommy needs a drink mentality is taken to a whole other level. 
when we're talking about the special needs community. It Absolutely. opens up doors. It gives you a license to do all sorts of things. And not only would, I mean, people would basically hand you the cup or the bottle. They would say, if anyone deserves it, you deserve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes so much sense. So on one hand, you got connected with all these other moms who are experiencing the same life situations you are, and that's amazing. And, um, and then also, because we're all doing the best we can with the tools we have, the moms are saying, hey, here's the tool that works for us have a drink. It really is. And you know, I, it's not even unique to my circle or my town or my state uh, in the age of social media. Co becoming connected with parents like me means I, I'm connected with parents across the country and around the world. So this isn't, it, it, I'm not talking about a small circle of friends in some unknown place in some isolated situation. It, it, it's interesting how that approach is prevalent everywhere. And, and I, 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 was, I was welcomed into that fold, sort of in that way, um, is, you know, she's young, uh, she's got two kids, uh, she's doing it all on her own, and, you know, we all need to rally around her. And of course, you know, handing you a glass of wine and, and taking away your keys and saying, here, go to it. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's just what you learn to do, uh, fill, fill the cup. You know, I, I've been looking at COVID, all the, all the uh, uh, moms homeschooling, so let's have a glass of wine. Uh, this next generation's being reared by drunks who are homeschooling during the day. You know, it's not too far removed from that, the, the stress of parenting and, and trying to get your children educated and, and um, on a good path, you know, it gives you license to do that. Uh, in, in society's mind. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, it's well-intentioned too. I think that's one of yep. the things that we really, you know, when we demonize things like mommy drinking, I, I don't think it does anybody any good because the truth is that it is very well-intentioned or really trying to help each other out. It, you know, it, it's, it's really true. And, and then somewhere along the way, it becomes your coping mechanism. And so getting together and, and circling around somebody, uh, the, the, the tool to helping you is more here, have a drink. Um, and, as a, and of course we're sharing, of course, but the drinking somewhere along the way, and that's blurred for me, but it, that becomes your coping. So if your friends can't get together, and it's a rough day. Well, that's all right. I'll just get a bottle by myself. Yeah. And there's the next step. And then, then another, and then another. Absolutely. So what did this, this part of the journey look like for you? Uh, for me, uh, I, I, it wasn't, it wasn't falling down drunk, blacking out, um, anything overt. It was sneaky. Uh, it moved from, um, being enveloped into a special, a new community and having camaraderie to um, having it in my house when I hadn't before, um, drinking at any time of day because we literally, many of us are up all night long because we have children that don't sleep. And so um, there, there, those, those lines of acceptability, even within drinking uh, become blurred. 
and and so you know some might say don't drink in the morning unless it's a mimosa don't drink well you know if it worked in the morning it worked in the morning and and you deserved it because you were up mm -hmm. all night or you know because your child had a seizure and you've got ptsd from it and you know it it, it was a license to do it anytime anywhere Absolutely. um did, was i was i drunk certainly not no um in it's it's its own form of um you know, it's just as bad. It's no better that I wasn't falling down drunk. It's just as bad that it was so prevalent that I, I celebrated with it. I was bored with it. I was sad with it. I was anxious with it. I was down and out and lonely with it. I was with friends with it. Carve a pumpkin, beautiful fall day, have a beer. Uh, it's rainy outside and really cold, you know, have some whiskey. I don't know. I, it became, it became the way you, you did everything. So I found it really sneaky and really difficult to break up with. Yeah, I found very much the same thing in, in my journey. You know, it was different in the sense of like the people giving it to me were just in a different circumstance, but it was the same principle of here, this is hard, so let's do this thing. And yeah. then all of a sudden that thing, which was just out of the house, was suddenly in the house and come home and be like, okay, I could exercise or I could pour myself a drink. Well, that's easier. And I've earned you know, the drink. I earned the drink. This has been so hard. And then, you know, very, very slowly starts to become something that only in hindsight you can see is actually maybe not helping as much. And even that right. is terrifying. So you're not really willing to admit that or even have that conversation with yourself right. because this has become so, such a, an important, and by the way, working, at least from the perspective that we had then, coping mechanism. You think you're functional. Mm-hmm. So then what happened? Um, well, I got divorced. And so suddenly, instead of being married with two special needs children, I became a single mom with two special needs children. And I needed to uh, earn an income uh, before I had the luxury of being the stay-at-home mom and running doctors and schools and therapies and for two. Um, it was an, it, it's a full-time job. And what tugged at my heartstrings was my marriage failed and my children were going to have to uh, suffer the um, absorb, absorb that change uh, in their development. Because if I had to be a single working mom, I wouldn't have the luxury of being home. Uh, one, one son is homebound. He's not in the school system. So, well, he is kind of, but he's homebound. Um, homeschooled with a delivery of services here to the house. Um, he wouldn't be able to do that anymore. And where would that put him? I, I, I he would be selectively mute, self-injurious, on the ground, unable to function, and I couldn't do a thing about it. And desperately, I looked for how I could craft some sort of living out of my house. So this was pre-COVID. Now, now that seems pretty common for everybody. Uh, at the time, it was not so common. And the one way I did that was to, to be able to work some non-traditional hours around their workday. Uh, I did well, I excelled at it, I dove right into it. It's part of that drive that you mentioned. It's that compartmentalism mm -hmm. where um, you push those emotions aside. This is hard, I'm tired, I can't. I, you push it aside and you do what you have to do. You 
put on your makeup. You cement yeah. the smile on your face. Uh, so I did that. And I did that for a few years and I started to feel just so tired. I was having trouble doing that which, at which I excelled for a while. So I just started researching. I just started doing Google search about searches about vitamin supplements or, you know, things that I'm eating, you know, what, what changes could I make that would bring out energy? Um, I, I just turned 50. So at this time I was you know, 49 and you know, it is not inconceivable. I'm growing older. I, maybe my body needs some more support. Never once did it occur to me to look to alcohol mm. because again, it wasn't that it didn't fit that profile that my mind had of what is problematic. And so it didn't occur to me, but you came up in my Google search. So oh, cool. <laughs> good SEO. <laughs> so yes, Yay. you came up in my Google search. And so I had an open mind at that time. I was, I, I was open to anything, anything that would help me continue to work these hours and put food on the table, keep a roof over our heads. So I saw that and I thought, I don't know. Well, it was an, I don't know. Could it? I don't know. Could I go without it? I don't know. Could it be the problem? I just don't know. And so it was not daunting for me to consider 30 days. I didn't know if I could do it. Um, well, that's kind of wrong. Cause usually when I set my mind to anything, I can do it, but I didn't know how hard it was going to be. Mm -hmm. uh, and, but I, I didn't want, I wasn't going to be lived by ruled by fear. And so I just decided to dive in and just see what would happen. Um, you know, I need to preface it. I enjoy alcohol. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed everything about it. And so I really wanted to see that this would fail, frankly. Yeah, um, and it didn't, it didn't, it wasn't immediately, you know, after you go a couple hours, like when you, when you cross that first threshold, then you start looking in the mirror, you're like, is my skin better? A day or so later, you might be, am I thinner? Am I not as bloated? I, you keep looking for those tiny rewards. And I sure didn't have them. I didn't. My first few weeks, I was just so exhausted. I could not get out of bed. Uh, didn't realize that I was probably going through some sort of withdrawal with that. Um, the anxiety the can we talk about anxiety? Yeah. There was a part of, cause later I, I, I entered later, I came across your books. I probably did it all out of order, but, um, that the part where the, there's the argument that you drink to ease your anxiety. And then you look a little closer and say, well, is that really what's happening? I didn't know. So it's hindsight to say that when my children were young and I, I was introduced to, I, alcohol was reintroduced into my life. It really was around that time that I had my first anxiety attack. Perhaps I was always an anxious person. Perhaps there was an element of that somewhere always with me and I just didn't know. But the first anxiety attack, I will never forget it. I was sitting on the couch. The kids were in bed finally. They were actually asleep. They never slept. They were asleep. I was quiet on the couch in front of my TV opened up a bottle of wine and it hit. And I, I, I really didn't even know what it was. So I started texting friends who were more experienced and they said, this is what it is. And so you need to, you know, any sort of cognitive behavioral technique that they had learned. Um, you know, they taught me at the time and got me through it. And I just thought, well, here's my next stage of special needs parenting. 
anxiety attacks, PTSD. Um, not to say that that is not valid and part of this life, because it is. But in my case, I really do believe that it was, I'd started drinking, the anxiety started, it became cyclical. So then you drink mm -hmm. because you're anxious, and then you're anxious because you drink. And so that was my first real light bulb moment that the anxiety, um, so it's almost a year ago that I came across you and, and started um, down this path. Uh, the anxiety was very, very, very strong at that time. And I thought that it, I would be ruled by it forever. And it took, it took more than 30 days. Mm -hmm. um, but it, interesting to think that in a matter of weeks, it could, it could just disappear. Yeah, it's amazing. Uh, so it's, it's really interesting. So the anxiety, the anxiety attack started. Um, I was tired. Uh, so at any rate, I entered, I entered the 30 days, was really lucky that um, it wasn't as bad as it could have been. Uh, and bit by bit, I felt better. The energy came within that 30 days. Energy did come. And that's what kept me going because I did feel better after those first couple weeks. Um, and the energy alone, that's what I was seeking. And that's what I got. I got this big boost. So that alone kept me going through challenges that ended up coming, you know, after um, sugar cravings and, and whatnot, you know. So the, the work really for me, changing the patterns um, and, and more physical, um, symptoms happened after the 30 days. The first 30 days for me was an exercise in awareness, um, and, um, being mindful of the void that I felt simply because I didn't have alcohol in my house in the many different places. So that, that's what that first 30 days really was for me. It was really eye-opening and, my goodness. So how can you really know the extent of a habit until you step away from that habit and Absolutely. look at it? So wise. It's so true. Um, and it's interesting because with the, with the anxiety attacks specifically, just to, to touch on that a little bit, I think it's, it's just worth saying that when they, when they happen, especially when they happen to someone who is like, I can just already tell like a survivor who's like, you know what, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to make this happen. This is going to do it but the emotion that you pushed away, yeah. it's still there. And yes. so, and so you push it away into the, you know, a drink or you push it away into, you know, just the mentality of like, no, this is, this has to happen. And so the body doesn't forget, like it doesn't, you know, and ultimately it has to come out of the body some way. And that presents itself as, you know, those anxiety attacks, which can feel for people like they're dying. Like people will be admitted to the hospital mm -hmm. because they think they're mm -hmm. having a heart attack and all sorts of things. And it can be absolutely terrifying. And I think it's most terrifying for people who really have just almost prided themselves on being like, strong. I got this. Like, I'm going to do, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. And then you're not, you know, so. Huh, and then that becomes the quiet, dirty secret. I'm not okay. I'm actually, mm -hmm. 
having a drink and anxiety attacks in my house <laughs> when nobody else is around. Uh, you know, now without the alcohol, I, you know, uh, it comes out, I cry, I just cry. And, and I'm not scared of that anymore. Mm. You know, before I might've been scared because I thought if I'd start crying, I would never stop. Yeah. And uh, you stop and you actually feel better for getting it out. So you're not tamping it down. Yeah, crying can be such a gift. And and we do. We've made it so wrong in our society. Mm -hmm. We made crying even wrong. People try not to cry at funerals. They literally they are embarrassed right. of crying at funerals. And um, but it's such it's such an important part. I mean, we it's the first thing babies do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like they come mm -hmm. out and they cry. They process what they're feeling physically. And I think to allow that instead of judging it or making it wrong is just mm -hmm. such an important part of the entire journey. And my children would, you know, they'd see me cry. They'd, they'd get scared. You know, you don't want, your parents are strong, right? But I, I've, I've tried to make a conscious effort to give them the message that I'm still strong, even though mm -hmm. I cry. This is just emotion. And emotion has to get out of your body somehow. Uh, I, I, wish, I wish collectively we could, we could send a better message to our children about that. And in fact, even stronger. I mean, um, I, I tell my son who he gets, he gets a little more scared about certain things than some of his peers. And he's like, well, I'm just such a chicken. I, you know, I shouldn't feel like this. And I was like, no, actually you are braver because you're doing the thing anyway with the fear. And that's very different than doing something without the fear, like to do it and have the fear to, to feel the emotion and express the emotion there's actually a level of strength and bravery strength. in that. It's, it's way, way uh, less strong to numb and suppress and avoid yes. the emotion. Yes. And so I think my biggest challenge, um, you know, I, there were all those hurdles, your first, your first birthday, your first, whatever. Um, my biggest one was when, you're sitting down across the desk with a doctor and he delivers news that you don't want to hear as a parent. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my parents in my circle are, are used to it. That doesn't mean that we like it. It doesn't mean that, um, you know, it's easy. Uh, and so, you know, we, life still does go on, even though I don't have alcohol in my house or in my life, life still does go on and there still are those moments. And so you've got to hammer out, different coping skills um, for that. And so what are some of your go-to? I'm not going to pretend to be an expert. <laughs> if you've got <laughs> suggestions, you can send them to me. I take it minute by minute, whatever yep. feels good in the moment. But what, what this experience has given me is to reuse the phrases that mindfulness is, is the ability to stop and think before you just do. And, and so, so many times where picking up a bottle of something or a glass of something um, would have been the coping, you know, I was able to stop and say, yeah, but really, is that going to help it? You know, I won't sleep. I'll feel like this tomorrow. I'll do this, that, or the other. Um, so talking yourself out of that and then thinking instead, what would feel good, a bath, um, just sitting and crying, um, calling a friend and, you know, talking it out with them, having somebody just listen, uh, which are much healthier forms of coping. But for whatever reason, that wasn't the path that I initially took. <laughs> you yeah. do the best you can. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the idea of minute by minute because 
it does change every minute. What sounds good to you, what might bring relief in this minute might not in the next. And so I think you know what really else important. that does? It's it also helps you think on your feet because I tend to be a person who finds safety in let's get a system. Let's get let's get a toolbox. We're going to go to that toolbox. We're, I guess the toolbox may not be the best analogy because you've got several things in that box that you could use. But I don't want to say anytime you're feeling stressed, go take a bath. Anytime mm -hmm. you're feeling stressed, take a walk. Well, a walk may not always work. And if you get so stuck on in the next year, not drinking alcohol, and anytime I get stressed, I'm going to start running. Well, you're also setting yourself up for failure because you're not developing the coping skills. <laughs> you're still not developing coping skills. <laughs> you know, you need to be able to teach yourself to figure it out in the moment under different circumstances. So that's, that's where I am. What do I do? Well, I'm just trying to figure it out as it comes. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I think the gift of allowing the motion to process through you is it always doesn't feel good in the moment, but it's such a gift. Yep. It's so important. And learning that emotion doesn't have to be bad if it can feel that. But like, like I said earlier, I thought that it would come and then it would never go away and I would be collapsed in a puddle on the floor, but that's really not the case. It'll go, it, it'll pass. Emotion yep. passes. So it's, it's just quicker and, and healthier in the long run for, to go through that emotion and feel it and let it pass and then figure out your path forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, how, how has it been socially, especially with, you know, the nature of, of some of the groups that you've been in? Uh, interesting when you have a, a, you've made a decision to, to change your life and, you know, you still have friends and, and um, people that are living the way you used to. Um, COVID hit. And so I'll I'll, I often call it as in my bubble. I'm really great if I'm living in my bubble. I don't buy alcohol. It's not in my house. I work from home. I'm homeschooling one child. The other child's here too, you know, but, um, you know, so in my house, in my isolated life, it's okay. But there are those moments. So I would imagine absent COVID, it would have been a bigger challenge for me. Um, living life normally, um, I'm single. Anybody talks about a first date, let's go grab drinks. Uh, let's, let's get together, celebrate a birthday in a restaurant somewhere, and there's going to be alcohol and so many more. I think it would have been more difficult for me. So I know while some people, a lot of people, the whole world turned to drinking during COVID, for me, it actually kind of helped a bit because it eased that pressure of that social pressure. And so it, I've yeah. been able to kind of step into that as opposed to having it just slap me in the face. That's a great silver lining for sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So let me ask you, let's uh, finish up. And of course, if you have anything else you kind of want to share, please do. But mm -hmm. let me ask you the question that I always ask, which is if you were going to go back to, to Amy, who really felt like, you know, alcohol was the answer to the anxiety rather than the cause and oh. was very much just trying to keep everything together, doing the best she could with the tools she had. And you're going to tell her about what life is like today. What would you tell her? Just try it. Um, I'm, oh, I always try to be open and even to those things that sound 
wrong to me. You know, your initial reaction could be, no, well, that's not me or that's not for me. But, you know, quiet those thoughts and listen and, and be open and just try it. No harm in trying it and finding out that that's not the case. But I would say to the Amy, then you're going to find out that that's the case. The anxiety was a huge component for me. Absolutely. Me too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. What a, what a powerful, powerful story. And, you know, I'm sure that like, it's just, it's not only not unique for, for the mother story, but to specifically have a story with special needs. I know that this is really going to help somebody out there who is in your same situation, really wondering what they can do. I appreciate you for the platform and for the, the, Um, being cognizant about the issues, dissecting them and putting it out there uh, and encouraging people to think. Um, This, there is a need, there's a need for that support in in the special needs community, support and awareness. And so I just thank you for your work and for being bold, for being bold and stepping into that and, and owning your truth and helping other people to do that also. Well, thank you. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.